0: Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. It's really good to see you all and to be here with you. I've just spent the last three days in Barcelona Yeah, which used to be a really, really great city to visit and have a holiday, but now my grandchildren have moved there, so it's a totally different experience. I have a newfound respect for parents. Um, Three days in a flat with three grandchildren, and I'm really happy to be home in London and (laughs) have a time for a quiet coffee and things like that. So, well, Barcelona is amazing, and I have wonderful grandkids. You will need to meet them one day. And uh, today is a kind of a, a stand-alone Sunday in the sense that over the autumn we are focusing on the I Am statements of Jesus that we find in the Gospel of John, but this Sunday is kind of an exception to that, so this will just be a stand-alone talk. And uh, what I want to do is to take us on a bit of a journey through the first part of Psalm 27, And to be honest, when uh, Tim and I talked and we agreed that I should uh, do the talk this Sunday, that was simply the first thing coming to my mind. And to be honest, uh, I think my first thought was, I really need a walk through Psalm 27. So that's kind of uh, where I'm coming from with this talk today. So if no one else will enjoy this talk, I think I will. (laughs) I simply just need to rest a little bit with with Psalm 27, and then I hope that uh, for the rest of you, that you will find it helpful as well. Are we ready? Okay. So this is how the first part of the first part goes. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life; of whom sh- shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besieges me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me; even then, will I be confident? This is the first part of the first part of the psalm. When I was around the age of five, I was bullied by an older boy who lived on the same street as us. Somehow, I just became his favorite victim, so whenever I was out playing on the street, I was always on the lookout for him. And uh, if he saw me, he would just come running towards me and shouting at me, and I would run for my life back to our home. And uh, this was really how it went for a long time. Then one day, it almost went really bad. So, uh, I, didn't, I didn't really keep, keep an eye out. So, suddenly, he was there, just there, uh, very close to me. And I, I was terrified. So, I really just ran. And just last minute, I came to kind of the entrance to our garden. And I ran into the house and slammed the door. And then I was just, just standing there, trying to catch my breath. Then there was this guy uh, in our house, this really huge, big guy who was a builder doing a project in our house. His name was, sorry, it's a very Danish name, Aspion. Don't repeat after me, that will go wrong, Uh, but that's his name. And to me, he just looked like a giant. So he calmed me down and he said, Lars, what's going on? And then I told him about this bully on the street, and he was like... You know what, Lars, let's go for a walk on the street. (laughs) Then he took my hand, and then we went out on the street. And now the experience was totally a different one. I was not afraid of meeting my enemy out there. I was looking forward to meeting my enemy, because I was just hoping that we would catch him. And, you know, I had fantasies about what this giant would do to this enemy of mine. Fortunately for him, we didn't find him. But I still remember this sense of a complete difference going on these streets, walking on these street, streets with a very strong confidence. These were the same streets. People on the street were the same. What was the difference? The difference was Espian or my proximity to him, or my relationship to him. That was the difference. Nothing else had really changed. And in a nutshell, that's really what David talks about in this psalm. So in a way, I could just sit down and say, well, that's what this is about. But we have to spend a little bit more time, so let's carry on for a little bit. Um, David talks about battles. And, And what I want to focus on in this talk is not how can we avoid battles, because we cannot avoid them. That's a fact of life. And uh, I hope you're not hoping for a battle-free life because you're not going to get it. Life is full of battles. So this talk is more about how do we find serenity when we are facing the battles of life. I think that becomes a really, really important question. So what are the battles that David is talking about? Well, he was a warrior king, so he knew everything about you know, actual, real battles. Um, But we know from David's other writings, from his Psalms, that he was very much aware of internal battles going on in his own life. And no doubt he talks about those battles as well. And then he talks about three levels of intensity that we can experience when we are facing these battles of life. And the first kind of level he talks about is uh, expressed like this. He says, when the wicked advance against me to devour me. This is fear connected to something that we can see coming towards us in, horizon, in the horizon. So this is very much in the fabric of the nature of fear itself. And in many ways, we living in this part of the world and many other parts of the world as well, we live a life surrounded by this kind of fear. In the news, there is this constant stream of predictions of crises that are already here and crises that are on the way. Just to name a few of them, not to kind of put us all in depression this morning, but anyways, we have the fuel crisis, we have the food crisis, we have the supply crisis, we have the job vacancy crisis, and we have the unemployment crisis. It just kind of, the narrative changes, but it's always a crisis, isn't it? And if it's it's not there, it's on the way. That simply seems to be how the media works. We are surrounded by this kind of news all the time, and it does affect us. For some of us, what we are facing in the horizon, what we are seeing advancing against us is a very real thing. It's actually there. It's a concrete enemy of our joy and fullness of life and it's on its way. We can see it coming. For other of us, it's a fear of what might happen. And often we are formed to quite a significant extent by what we have seen and heard and what has happened to people close to us. When I was preparing this, I I thought about a strange thing that had been kind of part of my life. When I was very new to this church leader stuff, uh, which started way too early in my life, um, had no clue what 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 I was about and what I was doing. But anyways, there was this role model of mine and I was leaning kind of quite a bit towards him. He had been the teacher at at my Bible school. He was an amazing guy and an amazing uh, national leader in in Denmark. Um, Yeah, I could say a lot about him. I won't, but he was just this huge role role model of mine. Then I was at a conference with him, the last one uh, where he spoke and I could hear there's something different here. He talked about the importance of, of Sabbath, about having the right balance in life. He even said a sentence like, I want to see my grandchildren grow up. And I was like stunned. You know, he was normally this guy who would talk about faith for amazing projects. And, and he was that kind of, of guy. So it was just a very strange, different tune that we, was, we were listening to he was actually sick at that point but he didn't know and then just a few months after suddenly he was just he died he was away and there was a shock going through my life and through the life of many people in Denmark back then it was like oh, how could this happen and and ever since then this eight he was 49 when when this happened i was i it became kind of a how can you say that a marker in my life Without thinking about it, I almost counted the years to the age of 49. And just a few weeks ago, I realized that I had this thought going through my mind. Now I am 55. I'm six years older than when he passed away. Isn't that odd? And of course, this is not something that we do consciously, but most of us Consciously or not consciously, we have things like that going on in our lives with people we know, people who have been close to us, stories of other people, narratives, even just stories that we may have been reading one time that made a huge impression of us. All of that is layered in, and it kind of forms part of our inner narrative. And that becomes things that we see in the horizon coming towards us. Now, what does David say about these exterior and interior enemies advancing against us? That's the good news. He says, they will stumble and fall. I love this way of putting it. And actually, a good little exercise this morning would be, just for a moment, imagine whatever fear you have of things that that you feel like these things are coming, they are advancing against me. If, if you're not too uncomfort- uncomfortable, maybe just think about them for a moment. What is it that you see in the horizon where you're like, I really don't like that. I don't want to have that coming towards me. What is that? Well, if, if you have kind of made the thought, uh, then you can do the next one. Just see how they will stumble and fall. That's actually what David says. He says, well, I can see them out there, and, and right now they are advancing, but they will stumble and fall. And, well, this is just a bit of a confession. You may, you may do it very differently. But when I stumble on the street, it doesn't happen that often, but honestly, when I stumble on the street, no matter what kind of pain I may feel in the moment, the first thing I notice is not my pain the first thing I do is to look around and see who saw me stumble. Anyone else? You don't have to (laughs) wave at me. But, you know, that's my first... And then I register the pain afterwards. There's something humiliating about this stumbling, isn't it? I don't think it's a coincidence that David uses this expression. They They will not only fall, but first they will be humiliated, and then they will fall out with the enemy. They will fall. Now, what was David's secret? How could he face the enemies with such trusting faith? How did he find serenity, which he obviously did, in the view of enemies advancing against him like this? It's a hugely important question, isn't it? Honestly, it's such an important question. I, I had one, one moment In Barcelona, where there was a bit of quiet around me, and I was sitting at a cafe. Meta and I had sneaked away from the from the flat just for a few moments. And uh I was just observing these people passing by, tourists and locals. And you know, this is supposed to be one of the happiest places on the planet. It's Such a beautiful city, it has all the beauty you would want, it has the mountains, it has the perfect temperature, it has the beach. Now all of you want to go to Barcelona, they actually paid me to say this this morning, but anyways, it's just an amazing place. But still, when I was sitting there watching people, I saw so much concern in the eyes of the people passing me by. And I was really thinking about it, well, it's also here, (laughs) Everything around you is kind of nearly perfect and still so much concern about the things coming towards us. We really need to get to know the secret. How do we find serenity in facing these battles? David says, well, there is another level of intensity to this. And then he says, it's like this. He says, though an army beseech me, my heart will not fear so now it's not in the distance. Now it's besieging me, this, this army. But my heart will not fear. So how does that feel like in our lives? Well, I think it's those situations where we feel like we are simply surrounded by what you could call bad alternatives. That no matter where we look, we're not seeing a solution. We are seeing another problem coming our way. We are simply under pressure no matter where we look in our lives. And for some of us, this may be quite existential. When we look back at our lives, we may feel like we are carrying a really heavy burden with us, something that life has handed to us. And it may be all kinds of shapes and sizes, and and to some it may feel like a small thing, but to me or to you, it may feel like a mountain. And that doesn't really matter. The, matter, the, the thing is, how is this experienced in my life? And that the point is, there's this sense of a distorted view when we look back at our lives. And then at the same time, when we look at how our lives are experienced right now, we may feel similarly, that for multiple reasons, we are simply under pressure but then again, looking ahead to the future. We may not see a solution coming our way, but we may see new potential enemies advancing against us. That is the situation of too many people, and there might be a few of us in this room today. That no matter where we look, we feel surrounded by things that put pressure on our lives. It's quite a burden to carry. Sometimes when I'm in conversations with people who find themselves in this situation, I walk away amazed. I'm like, how on earth can you still breathe with that kind of pressure going on in your life? And I know that we here in the UK, we live in a culture where getting a grip and getting on with it, these are highly praised values. And, and honestly, sometimes we really need to hear that. Sometimes that's a really good piece of advice. I know sometimes in my life, I need to hear that. Last, get a grip. Oh, last, just get on with it. But at other times, it's simply plain stupid, isn't it? And the worst thing we can do is just soldiering on. It's another thing that we need. It's another solution that we need to our situation. Now, what does David say about this, facing this kind of being surrounded like this? He says, my heart will not fear. Now, what is his secret? How can he say that? We really need to know, don't we? Well, before we get to know, David says, there's another level to this. It gets worse. And for some of us, we would be pleased that this is the final kind of level of intensity. He says, the war break out against me. Now oh, it's a war going on. And it's, it's happening. It's no longer threats. It's no longer something that surrounds me. The attack is going on right now. I or the people that I love are being attacked in this very moment. Of course, these could be physical attacks with the body, experiencing pain of different kinds. It, it could be things going on in our mind. Our mental health can be in the line of fire, and we are struggling think- simply to breathe mentally to carry on in this life. It could be social challenges. Uh, we know that marriages are under st- Great pressure these times. We know that friendships can be really under pressure and can break down. And other kinds of community breakdowns are happening. Financially, some of us are struggling. We are looking for a way or we can see something advancing against us. We are under attack. And spiritually, when we go through faith crisis, which does happen, I think everyone in this room can talk about faith crisis. I know I can. I know the situations where I feel like what I know up here, all my theoretical answers, well, that's one thing, but what I see out there, it just challenges me. And how do I align these things? Those kind of faith crises. Sometimes it leads to a breakdown in our relationship with God, so we simply give up. We give up on praying, we give up on reading, we may still kind of be in the community because we need the community, so we do, but We give up on really trying when it comes to our relationship with God because somehow it doesn't really work for us. And it's hard to talk about because when that happens, we sometimes fear that we are the only ones. (laughs) And we're like, how can I lack so much faith when the rest of them seem to have so much faith in their lives? Well, read the Psalms. Read about David's struggle (laughs) with faith. Sometimes he was really like, God, for real? Is this really happening? And then he kind of found his way back to a position of faith. And sometimes it's plain demonic attacks going on in our lives as well. We don't talk about it much, but it is happening. It's out there. And sometimes what we feel is something which just feels so evil, what comes against us, as arrows piercing our thoughts or our emotional life it's not really natural, it's not part of normal life, it's something beyond that, simply a spiritual attack on our lives. That's tough when we are in times like these, when we are under on, on direct spiritual attack. And even though it's difficult for us talking about living in such a physical world, we kind of know it anyways. We know it's out there so we probably sometimes do need to talk a little bit about it and help one another to go through that as well there are ways to go through that there are ways of finding victory in the midst of that what does david say about this he says though war break out against me even then will i be confident so it can go to this level but still I'm confident. So what was the secret? Well, let's read on. (laughs) Some of you are saying, finally. (laughs) We are through the depression part. Let's get to the solution part. Good. Let's read. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. It's very poetic, I know, but this is David's secret. His secret is a tent, but not just any tent. So, reading this psalm, there's a good reason to believe that David is drawing from his actual experiences from the battlefield. So when he talks about a tent in this psalm, he's thinking about a specific tent. Uh, there was in, in the war camp, there was this tent that was bigger than any of the other. And that was the tent of the king. And it was placed right there in the middle of the war camp, that was where the king was situated. Uh, So it would always be very centered, so it would be equally protected on all sides. But there's a paradox with this tent. On the one hand, it's placed there in the center of it all. It's, It's guarded by the elite of the elite, and yet it was the most attacked place as well. It was the most secure place, and it was the most attacked place. Why? Because the enemy always went for the king. I know it's quite against our logic, isn't it? But if we are fundamentally, existentially asking for the most secure place living in this world, it's actually also the most attacked place. A lot could be said about that, but that will have to be another time. Now, this is the image David uses to kind of talk about this other tent that he enters, the tabernacle, which for Israel represented the place where the presence of God was dwelling. So, basically, this warrior king, King David, with his own tent, with his army and his soldiers, he says this, they are not my secret. I have them. I have all of that. But they are not my secret. That's not why I experience serenity in the midst of all this. They don't provide me sufficient protection from my enemies. In other words, nothing that power, connections, money, status can provide will supply me with what I need to find serenity in the battles of life. It is as simple as that. Those things are not my tent, says David. My tent is my community with the living God. A special kind of community. So what was his secret? Well, his secret was that though he was a warrior king, the ruler over a great nation with vast resources at his disposal, he chose to become the little one. That was his secret. It is to become the little one. And in a way, it's almost embarrassing when you think about who it is saying it, but we hear David use sentences like these. They will come up on the screen. I seek refuge in the shadow of your wings. I do not concern myself with great matters. I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is the soul within me. Lots of sentences like these. Are they really coming from a warrior king? Yes, but a warrior king who had intentionally chosen to be the little one. Charles Mackesy, who I know many of you would know, a wonderful artist, and I think he somehow became a bit of a prophetic voice to our nation when we were in the worst part of, of the pandemic. He expressed it in this way that I hope you can see on the screen. If you can't read it, it says, when have you been at your weakest? asked the boy. And then the horse replies, when I have dared to show my weakness. It's the same kind of spirituality, choosing to become the little one. Now, this was the spirituality that Jesus revealed in the Gospel of John. So, we have these sayings of Jesus. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the true vine. That all sounds really powerful, doesn't it? Quite amazing. And Jesus manifests all of these things. He proves them that he really was all of those things. And then yet he says this in John chapter 5. He says, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And then He says, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself, but Him who sent me. The exact same spirituality as we saw in the life of David and Mackie C and now Jesus. He chose to become that little one. He was the great one, but he chose to become that little one. Now, if you want one, a one-sentence prayer, which is kind of handy, isn't it, to have that, that leads us directly into this spirituality, you may want to use the first line of what is called the serenity prayer. And some, some of you would know that fairly well. It goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. That is the prayer of the powerless. That's, aware of, that's a prayer of the one who gives himself or herself over to being the little one, the one in need of help. And there's such a release our burdens when we actually engage with a prayer like this and follow the prayer into this tent that David talks about, the presence of God. Then what happens in that tent? Well, number one, our perspective changes. And it's really the same thing that we experience in other areas of life. So, If you spend enough time with me, you would discover how I see life, don't you? It's just a matter of time. Then you will start to kind of find out. And um, that may not change your perspective because you know, well, Lars, he he could be wrong about things, so (laughs) I could just ignore his perspective. But when we are with God, it's a different thing, isn't it? We are with the one who is in possession of all the facts. So we are with one who is the actual truth. The actual objective truth. Everything God says, everything that He is, everything that comes from Him would be, has to be, the absolute objective truth about everything and everybody, including me. Correct? Logically speaking... That is how it needs to be, how it has to be, if God really is God. That's truly what is starting to happen. That that is what happened with David. We can see it from the other Psalms. And that is what is happening with us when we get closer, when we enter this tent. So there are two things happening when we start to see life and ourselves with God's perspective. Number one, we become small. That's really what happens. We realize that the world does not evolve around us. That it actually evolves around God. Surprisingly, He is the center of all things. I am not. And of course we know that. But emotionally and in our way of thinking and responding to God in this life, that is often where we get trapped. And I think we do, all of us. We don't want to, but it's just like it happens so easily to us. And we get to kind of organize the world around ourselves. And we start to create life and we start to create God in our own image. And we start to play God in our own lives. And anyone who has tried that, I know I have, would know that it, we are so miserable at it. We are so bad at playing God in our own lives. Now when we enter this tent, when we enter the presence of God, all of that is stripped off. And we find out that it's not a bad discovery, it's actually a joyful one. It's quite a relief. So it may be hard for us to surrender to it and start to think and respond and act differently, and we may need to help one another with this. But the realization that God is the center, I am not is an amazing relief. I'm off. I'm not God. You're off. You're not God. And it's time to take some time off. (laughs) A lot of the worries that we carry with us, a lot of the fears that we carry with us, they are a direct result of us playing God in our own lives. And we are being released from that when we start seeing things in God's perspective. Finally, I need to conclude this talk. Uh, sorry, it's been dragging on a bit more than I expected to. But you need to get this final one uh, too. We don't only become small, we also become big. And this is a final story that I just need to kind of carry with me today. And some of you would have heard this story before. So so one of my ways of of kind of seeking this presence of god or entering his tent is to go on retreats as some of you would know and these are silent retreats where i'm simply quiet uh, typically for a week and uh, offline and simply spend my time praying reading walking um yeah sleeping and what else what else <laughs> and and typically when i'm these kind of retreats i come home with a notebook full of notes with lots of things that i feel like god has been speaking to me about but this time, three years ago, all there was in my note after a week was a question that said, God, who, who are you? And then it was just blank pages. So I, I, in a way, I enjoyed being there because, you know, uh, some good naps, it was very quiet. And I like, I like reading the Bible and praying and, and worshiping and, and good walks and all of that. But that was, that was basically it. And it was a bit odd to just look at these blank pages. Uh, and and then when I was just about to go for the airport, I had this, what I would call a prompting, saying, "Go for a final walk." And I was like, "All right, then I'll go for a final walk." <laughs> so I went down towards the harbor, and and then um, then I had another prompting saying, "You should go in that direction." It, it was a direction that I haven't been going before, so I was unsure of the way, and I was a bit like. Mm, You know, the airport, the plane, it was like, should I, shouldn't I? But I felt like, no, this seems like a prompting, so I will go. So I walked. And as I kind of, after I had walked for maybe five, ten minutes, I started to hear music. And I came down to some very old ruins there. And in the midst of those ruins, there was a a banjo, was a mandolin orchestra, it was. So I'm not kidding you, there were 50... uh, Men and women playing mandor- mandolin and guitar. It's a very odd combination. Uh, and and th- I had never heard a sound quite like that. And I didn't really know whether <laughs> I liked it or not. It was just really odd, the sound, when it was just the music playing. But I was standing there and just watching them, uh, wondering what's going on here. And then, then after a while, there was this very small uh, woman who entered the stage. And she took a microphone, and then she started singing with the most beautiful voice. I didn't understand a word of it, but it almost felt like something was happening on the inside that I couldn't explain. So it felt like I was just drinking what was going on there. And, s- and I started to just close my eyes and drink drink in what was happening. Then she stopped singing, uh, and I, w- I was like, now I really need to go. <laughs> you know, my plane is leaving, so... Um, So I turned around, and then when I turned around, took the first step, and this happens to me very rarely, only on a few occasions in my life. It was like a voice speaking in my thoughts, saying, you ask me who I am. And then there was a pause, and then it came, I am the one singing love songs over you, and nothing more. And I just stood there. It it must have looked funny for people around me. I was just like, I couldn't move. And since this, I am in his presence. I'm he's right here speaking to me. And part of me was totally overwhelmed by is that what he's saying? Is that how he wants to explain who he is? And honestly, there was another part saying. A whole week? And, and, and this is it. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's kind of the first thing you learn in, in kids' work. God loves you. <laughs> so, it, it was just the oddest experience and the most amazing experience at the same time. So, what is it that God speaks to us? What is it that He says to us in this tent? Well, typically, we seek, you know, the big answers to the big questions. But Partic- typically, It's these kind of things, he says. Why? Because that's where we find serenity to face these big battles. That's where we find serenity to relate to him in the midst of all of the noise going on around us and sometimes within us as well. We need this kind of serenity. And therefore, we need to get close enough so we hear these words ourselves. Had you asked me before going on that retreat, last, do you believe God loves you? I said, yes, of course I do. If I asked most of you, I I assume you'd say, yes, of course I do. But obviously, I really needed to hear it. And maybe you do too. Maybe we do too. Maybe we need to hear it quite often. For those of us who who live in 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 a partnership, we know we need to hear it from one another quite often. I think all of us know that, no matter what kind of life we we need to hear that we are loved by our parents, by our friends. I can't tell my wife made it, well, I told you when we got married that I loved you <laughs> It's like <laughs> Maybe the band can come up. I will skip the last part of the talk. We'll have to do that another time. But anyways, I think, could we just have a moment where we just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us? Where we, we receive His presence and maybe just, just a moment of, you know, where we relax in our seats and say, all right, I'm here now. And God is here, and life is as it is right now, sitting in my chair i can 't change it it is what it is right now, and then we simply invite God to minister in that reality of life in this very moment, however He wants to do it all so prayer, prayer, and then uh, and we'll sing a song uh, and and then we will see just how the Holy Spirit will minister to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are with us in this moment. Thank you that we don't need to leave the realities of life to encounter you. But you meet with us in the midst of whatever is going on. And I thank you for this moment. Thank you for the grace of leaning back now and just be with you. I pray for that grace for everyone in this room who have this desire right now. our thoughts will become quiet that you will still our emotions and we will be able to just be with you, to hear you however you want to speak Father in heaven I pray that you will pour out your spirit on us Holy Spirit, I pray that you will come. Thank you that there is a calling on us to become tents for other people. But before that calling, there is the invitation for us to enter the tent of the living God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will help us do so this morning.